Thank you, Allison. That's beautiful. Um, I just want to start off by saying that I didn't ever expect my first sermon to be on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> and I really didn't mean to dress as a Patriots fan. So I'm not, I'm not cheering for them. This, I was in the car. I looked at Cal and I was like, babe, oh no. <laughs> so if you are Patriots fans, good luck. You will probably win. And Eagles fans, I'm cheering with you. Um, anyway, when I was in my mid-teens, my brothers and I, we spent hours <laughs> playing, watching, and talking about a sport, which is not football, it was basketball. We loved it. We loved basketball so much that every opportunity we got to talk about it, watch it, or play it, we were there, and we were there for hours. Uh, there was a YMCA rec league that was pretty poorly managed, which meant the price was low and we could get in and play. And me and my younger brothers, we all went out to play. Um, I was uh, the oldest of four able-bodied guys. And we loved, we loved to play. And I was two years older than the youngest one, or the next youngest. So I was never in the age group with them. And let me tell you, my brothers are ballers. I'm not very good. But my brothers could play. I had one, David, he could dribble like nobody's business. And he could find a way to the lane from any direction. And I had another one, Robert, who was just all in all of the time and had more, more intensity than any, any of us. And it, it was my joy and pleasure to watch them play. And it was my deepest longing to be considered one of the Dolby bros, one of the Dolby ballers. Since I, was, since I was two years older, I never got the chance. Well, anyways, we went out for this rec league uh, YMCA team, and my age group was playing, and me and my brothers drove together to watch the game before us, and then for them to watch my game afterwards, which was probably miserable. But um, when we got to the Y, the two teams that were scheduled to play, the first didn't have enough players. My brothers would play at the Y all the time, and my brothers were ballers, like I said, and they knew everybody. Right? And this team captain, he recognized my brothers when they walked in. He was like, oh, those guys... Those Dolby boys, they're ballers. Robert, David, could you play with us? And there were still a couple of players short. This was my chance. If the game was going to go on, they needed to ask somebody else. And I was thinking, this will be the first time that I get to play with my brothers. And I was so excited. And um, as the team captain was standing the crowd more capable players. My brother, Robert, always my advocate. The guy's always got my back. Doesn't always know what to do, but he's always there, right? He came up to the team captain and he said, hey, Sam, my brother, he's a baller. He'd be good on our team. Now, you guys may not care about basketball. Those of you that do, you know this feeling. But even those of you that don't, you know the feeling when you're about to be included in something that you long to be included in. You know, you get, you get that, that rush in your head. Your whole body tenses, but you cannot show it. <laughs> your hands get clammy like mine are right now. And you're just hoping. The butterfly is going off. The head is, is dizzy. You're hoping more than anything that you're going to get it. Well, the other team captain, he was bigger than I was, definitely stronger than I was. And um, 
is a better baller than I was. And he sized me up in about two seconds. And I started standing in the crowd for other players. My brother Robert just kind of backed away. There was nothing more he could do. I'd been overlooked. I'd been rejected. And guys, just like I know you know that feeling of when you're about to be on the ends, I know you know that feeling that sucks when you just got over when you just got sized up, you got deemed too weak, too unattractive, too incapable, too dumb to be of any value here. Maybe it was maybe it was a band that you longed to be in. Maybe it was a sports team that you wanted to be on. Maybe it was someone that you finally got the courage to ask out. We all know the feeling of rejection from somebody. We all hate it. Today we're going to be looking at a passage that's going to describe a different type of culture. Because let's face it, this comes from our own culture, and any culture. A culture that seeks to build oneself by adding to them. Right? We're going to look at a different type of culture today. In uh, Romans chapter 15. Verse 13, Keith graciously put a bookmark in my Bible so I wouldn't lose the place. I would. Um, And this culture that's going to be described here is a different culture. Not of rejection, not of sizing up and adding up, but of love and acceptance. So before we read, I need to pray. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is your word is your word, and your word changes lives. It's not, it's not the abilities of the pastor. It's not the listening of the people. It's the spirit that takes the word into our hearts. Father, change us now as we look. Fill us up with your love, that we may love others. In your name I pray. Amen. Right, read with me. This is on page, oh, where's the page number? 1766. Page 1766. We're going to read verses 1 to 13, Romans 15, hear this, hear your father speak to you, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves, each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, 
one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the power, with hope and by the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we're kind of jumping into the climactic ending of Romans here. Let me just give you a quick run-through of the book of Romans. It's going to be real quick. It starts off with Paul addressing a church that he doesn't know. A church he's never gone to meet. But he knows the doctrinal cores that they need to hear. And his entire purpose of the doctrinal cores that are, that are talked about in Romans 1 to chapter 12 is that the people would build one another up in community. Any book written to any of the churches in the New Testament is about community and building one another up. We don't get doctrines just to put them in our heads. We get doctrines to lift them out. And that's what the book of Romans is all about. So it starts off with God and um, his righteousness, his glory, and man's lack of um, ability to meet that righteousness and glory. We've got a problem. And Paul says it's not a problem with just one people group. It's a po- problem with all people groups. The two that he mentions are going to be the primary um, groups that make up the church body. And that's the Jew and the Gentiles. That encompasses everybody. <laughs> Which is kind of easy. He's lucky. But those two groups is everybody. And those two groups had some major differences. Some major differences. Um, and so he speaks to them first of their, of their uh, how they're joined together and their inability to live up to God's expectations and God's call to them. And after he says, both Jew and Gentile can't do it, he says, but God has done it. Christ has come. He has borne your weakness. And now there is no condemnation for those who rest in him. And as he gives this wonderful, this wonderful series of doctrinal truths that each one sinks deeper into our hearts, he then gets to the climax of the whole thing. He says, now, how do we live this out together? And that's what we're talking about here. And one of the major points that he has to straighten out is the connection or the the living according to the laws of the old, some of the Old Testament customs that have now passed away because of Christ's coming. And one of those Old Testament customs was what you eat. It's a major problem. Jews do not eat certain foods. Gentiles love those foods. Love bacon. Right? So, that's, the major, that's one of the major divisions in this church. When the Jewish brother sees his Gentile brother just gorging, not gorging, <laughs> they probably weren't gluttons, but feasting on good pork and food, the Jewish brother said, what are you doing? He doesn't honor God. That's a problem. And this is the, this is the conflict. This is the conflict that Paul seeks to address here. Now, that can feel old and withdrawn, but I want you to I want to take that paradigm and fit it into our 
present context, right? There's all kinds of things that are second to faith that we split over, guys. Whether it's who you vote for, do you live in the city or the county? Whether it's do you send your kids to school or your homeschool? How do you parent your kids? How do you discipline your kids? All kinds of stuff with kids. <laughs> you, you want to get to the heart of our splitting, just, just point to your kids. We really struggle with our kids. There's all kinds of ways in which we divide. Unlike this one, Paul knows the right answer. I don't. I can't give you the right answer to the problems that divide us. But for the problem of the Jews and the Greeks, Paul does know. And he gives an answer. Look with me in chapter, in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Ready? We who are strong. In chapter 14, he declares that the strong are those that feel free to eat whatever they want. Paul gives the answer to the problem. Hey, Jews, Jewish friends, Jewish brothers, they're okay to eat that. End of discussion, right? That's it. No. Because what we would think, when we would think that Paul would say, weaker brothers get on board, Paul actually gives the primary exhortation to the strong. Listen. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And again in verse 7 it says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. This is the difference. This is the difference between um, the way that we would look at it, look at this idea, and the way that Paul looks at this idea. We would say, hey, we're right. You're wrong. Change your ways. Come join us. Paul says, you're right. Now go serve your brothers who are weaker. It's so interesting. Ought here. We who are strong ought to. This is a term of obligation. You owe it to your weaker brothers. And then the term to bear with the failings. It's the same word that John uses to pick up the cross. Or for Jesus, when Jesus picks up his cross and puts it on his back. It's to carry, to lift up, to push up. Your weak brothers are not tag-alongs. They're not those that you just allow to sit in the pew next to you. They're those that you build up. They're those that you love. This is a different type of acceptance than what we're used to. When we hear about a culture of acceptance, some of us um, make, think of cultures that are in some way similar to ours, right? Where we tolerate one another or we ex- actually enjoy the differences other people have. Right? Those, those, are, those are our kind of terms of acceptance and tolerance. And let me tell you, I am very thankful for those terms because we can sit here in relative safety and, in, and, and enjoy the word of God being preached. Those are not the terms that Paul uses here. Those are not the definitions he gives here. His idea of acceptance is not, hey, come on, come on in. We enjoy, enjoy your, how different you are. His, his understanding of acceptance is, Hey, come in, you who bother the nonsense out of me. (laughs) You who annoy me. You who I just cannot stand. 
come on in and have a seat at my table. We're going to love you. We're going to build you up. You who may be considered, oh, sorry, who may be considered raw. Look, um, weak and strong, they're relative terms for us here. Right? There are ways in which every one of you is weak. And there's ways in which every one of you is strong. There are ways in which every one of you is right and your neighbor is wrong. And there's ways in which every one of you is wrong and your neighbor is right. What Paul is calling you to do is not put your flag in the place where you're right. But to seek to serve your brothers and sisters. To set aside what is, what, what is the right thing. And secondhand, secondhand, second to faith. <laughs> set aside what is right. And serve your brother. And love your brother. It's not a call to tolerance, and it's not a call to worldly acceptance. It's a call to service, and it's a call to love. There's a guy um, in my church growing up. Well, let me say this first. Brothers, an example of this is what you're doing with me right now, brothers and sisters. I'm a weak preacher. I'm a new preacher. This is my first sermon ever to a conference. Carrying me with your prayers, with your love, to this pulpit. You're encouraging me. You're training me. You're loving me. Part of me feels like you don't even need this sermon, which is how you've dealt with me. But I know that's not true, because I know my own heart. Anyway, there was a guy in my, in my church growing up. His name was Norm Chaplin. And uh, I love that man. He loved basketball. And this is where my, my love for basketball comes from. It was able to survive being sized up and passed over because of this man. When I was eight and not very tall, um, which is kind of important in the game of basketball, Norm Chaplin wanted to teach us about his love of basketball. So he set up a court in the church parking lot. He, he set in a hoop had a little three-point line and a foul line. And we came out every Wednesday night, me and my brothers, and we played basketball with Norm Chaplin. And eventually the entire community around us would ride their bikes to the church to play ball with this man who was, who was much older than us. And he also was much better. He knew how to play the game. But he also knew our weakness. And if you guys have seen um, hoops that are on the, on this, on the street sides and street corners, you can, you can lower them down. Maybe you've seen some kids... Playing, acting like they're dunking on a five-foot rim, right? Let me tell you, I've done it. There is no satisfaction as an adult dunking on a five-foot rim. It's just, it, you, you feel weak as you do it. You think, oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can do this, but, you know, not the real thing, right? Norm Chaplin would raise this, lower this hoop down to the level that we could play at. That will mess up your shot <laughs> if, you're, if you're a full-grown man. You shoot on a, on a five-foot rim, you're not going to be able to shoot on a 10-foot rim. Yet, Norm knew our weakness. And to instill a love for basketball in us, and because of his love for us, he set aside his right to play on a 10-foot rim. He played at a 5-foot rim with us. And every year, he told me later, he would raise that basketball net one notch to strengthen us, to build us up. I can't think of a of a man who did that better in my life than Norm Chaplin. So how do we do it? 
How do we love one another like that? Because let me tell you, it's hard. It means when someone sins against you, you bear with that sin. You build that person up who broke you, who hurt you. This is, this is difficult. This is not, woo let's go. This is hold up. Well, Paul knows that. And so the rhythm of this passage is, is a call to something, a call to an exhortation to acceptance. And then he gives us a radical help. Look with me at verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And then again in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. And this is the rhythm of this text, guys. First, Paul gives the exhortation. Then, he gives you the most helpful picture and truth that you could get. He says, hey, stop looking at yourself and your inability to do it. Look at Christ. Let's see what Christ has done. Christ, the one who bore the insults that we insulted him with. This comes from Psalm 69, 9. This text here in verse 3. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And it comes right after the psalmist says, I am filled with zeal for your temple. I love your temple. And because I love your temple, the insults that, the, that they have hurled on you, Father, and your temple have fallen on me. Friends, we are the temple of God. It's you and me. We're the temple. And Jesus is saying, the insults that you threw on him, he bore his cross. He bore that for you. Out of love for you. That's what this is saying. He did not please himself. But he sought to please you. He sought to bring you in community. Let me tell you, you can't be people who accept others if you haven't been accepted yourself. You can't, you can't love others if you don't know love yourself. And that's what Jesus is saying here, or Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, don't look to yourself and your inability. Look at the Savior who did this for you, who doesn't please himself but pleases the Father, who pleases the Father on your behalf because he loves you, who bore the insults that you hurled against him as he was moving towards Golgotha to be crucified out of love for the temple, which is the insults that we hold on him, he bore. He bore our weakness out of his he died for us. That's the good news, guys. You're accepted. You're loved. I, uh, I was terrified of talking to girls. Absolutely terrified. Maybe some of you guys out there know this feeling. If a, if a pretty girl walked in the room, I fell apart. Just could not. Could not talk to her. Was totally terrified. It's a miracle that I'm married today. And let me tell you how it happened. So, um, I, best summer of my life, I went to this summer camp. 
And at this summer camp, um, I was there a week early to do lifeguard training and a couple of other things. And when I showed up, a guy came and met me, and he pulled me, took me in this van to the camp, and he just started building me up. He was like, Sam, we're really excited to have you here. And then the entire week of this training, pre-training, I was built up. And they were saying, and, and the camp uh, staff was saying, Sam, we're really excited about you. We're really excited to have you here. This is awesome. You're an awesome guy. We love you. Built up, built up, built up. I had a big head. But, but it was good, in a sense. Because when Kellen came to the camp, the next week, not as a camper, <laughs> but in a second wave of training, I saw this girl who, was, who I thought was beautiful. And knowing how loved I was at this camp, I had the confidence to go and approach her and to welcome her here. It wasn't that I wanted to strut in front of her. I, I really wanted to welcome her the way that I had been welcomed by this camp. I was like, this is my opportunity. And so I talked to Kellen for about three minutes, and then I noticed how beautiful she was, and then I fell apart, and we didn't talk the rest of the summer. But, <laughs> but we took the first steps. We took the first steps because I felt the acceptance and the love of this community. Right? That's the kind of acceptance and love that Christ has poured out in you guys. That's what he's done. Now, Greg has always preaches, preaches this um, style. He says, Sam, first you, you, you bring the problem or the, the call, and you tell them th- why they can't do it, and you point them to Christ, right? Um, and every time I get pointed to Christ, I always kind of feel a little bit like, man, but I still am really bad at it. I know I love Christ, but I'm still really bad at it. I know what Christ says of me, but I'm I'm not very good. If you're feeling that right now, if you're kind of feeling like, I want to accept people, and I know Christ loves me enough and that I am accepted, but goodness gracious, Sam, I just can't do it. (laughs) And I've got the best word for you. I've got the best news for you. And this is my hope and comfort in this exhortation to accept one another. And this is why I chose this passage. Look with me. In uh, 15 verse, oh dear, where is it? (laughs) Five. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, read this with me in 1513. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. First, Paul gives us the exhortation. Then, Paul reminds us of what our Savior has done, how we're loved. And then he gives us the ultimate engine, the ultimate assurance that we will be able to do it. He says, God is with you. He will complete the good work he's begun in you. The God of hope, he will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. The God of endurance and the God of encouragement, he comes to be with you, friends. 
this is the this is the this is what blows my mind. I I have learned to accept that Christ has died me as my has died for me as my savior. But what what really brings me joy is that he says, "Hey, and I'm not leaving you. I've saved you, your money. But I'm not leaving." I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to fill you with hope and I'm going to fill you with encouragement and I'm going to give you the endurance that you need. Guys, you don't have to do this on your own and in fact, the promise of God is that it's going to get done whether you stink or not. (laughs) That he's going to see it through. He's going to do it. He's going to fill you. And he gives us one other thing to encourage us. In both of these sections, um, from 15 to 7, or to 6, and 7 to 13, he quotes the scripture. Which is just amazing. Paul says, hey, you have the God of hope, but you also have the word of God that was given for us to encourage us to build us up, to strengthen us as we seek to accept and love one another. As we seek to live self-sacrificially for one another. You've got the Savior who's done it for you. And you've got the God of endurance and encouragement right next to you, holding your hand, taking you to the finish line. You're not going to lose. A love of mine that goes back further than basketball Craig you'll like this is sailing I love sailing there's something about being out in the water that oh guys I can't help but sing and it's weird <laughs> because, because people give me weird looks but I, I can't help myself it's so wonderful to feel the wind going through my hair to feel the waves like enveloping me as my boat is flying across the water. We do this thing where we hike out. It, it, uh, it is so much fun. But uh, my love for sailing had started on rough seas. That's not even written here. <laughs> it, it started in, well, when I was eight years old. My dad had a love for poetry, and he thought sailing was just poetic. And so he asked me, Sam, how would you like to learn to sail? So he could kind of learn how to sail watching me, you know. And there was, a, there was a sailing class that was too expensive for my family, but one of the, the kids that was learning dropped out because he got too afraid of the water. And so there was a spot open, and my dad found out about it. And he asked me if I wanted to go learn. And I was like, yeah, Dad. I wanted to make my dad happy. I knew he loved sailing. I knew if I went and sailed, he would be happy with me, you know, could be one of our things that we did together. I always wanted to please my dad. So, I said, yeah. And I showed up, and all of the other kids had already had one day of sailing under their belt. They were by no means professionals, but they knew what what the different things on the boat were. I had no clue. And the chief instructor forgot that I hadn't learned any of those things. Um, in a sailboat, if you don't know, if you do, just bear with me. Um, 
the tiller is like the steering wheel. Push it one way, the boat goes the other. Pull it the other way, the boat goes the other. Um, and they were telling us to, if the, if the, if the sail is, there's so much technical terminology here. I'm sorry. If the sail is luffing, pull the tiller towards you. That's what they said in this class. And I said, hey, maybe like you, what does it mean if the sail is luffing? What is the tiller? They're like, oh, yeah, we forgot. Sam, you haven't been here. Just go. You'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. And I'm eight years old, and I'm confident. I'm like, okay, I got it. Yeah, sure. So they put, they put, a, uh, they put uh, a junior instructor with me who was 13 years old. Now, guys, the 13-year-olds that we have here, they're kind kids. I'm sorry, students. They're good guys, right? This guy was not a kind guy. <laughs> And this guy was not a very good instructor. So I got out in the water, and, and uh, my sail starts luffing. He said, hey, Sam, what do you do? The sail's luffing. And I was like, what, is, what do you mean it's luffing? <laughs> I know we're not going anywhere, but what does it mean? He's like, pull your tiller towards you, you idiot. And that's when it began. The, the, the junior instructor, I'm sure, I'm sure he's better at this now. <laughs> I'm sure he's come a long way. But he didn't stop insulting my intelligence for two hours. I was called stupid, idiot, dull. I was cussed out for two hours straight just because I didn't know how to sail a boat. Just because I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, it just didn't stop. It was... If, I, if, if he had told me to do something one way the first time, it would be different the next time. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get the hang of it. Just nonstop. You idiot, you idiot, you idiot, you idiot. Maybe some of you have been in that experience. It's awful. And I wanted to jump out and swim to shore because I could swim. <laughs> you know? I couldn't sail it, but I could, swim it to, I could swim to shore. And I was thinking, why am I doing this? Unbeknownst to me, my, uh, my dad was in the, the head instructor boat because he wanted to learn how to sail, so he thought by watching, he could learn. He was in the instructor boat the entire time, and, and he was watching what's happening to his son. Just get, just get berated. It was, it was painful. And I wasn't going to cry, because I was like, you're not going to make me cry. No, you're a jerk, and I'm going to leave, and I'm just going to be angry at you. <laughs> right? So I was trying not to show any emotion. I should have, but I was trying not to. trying to be strong. And my dad was watching me, and I didn't know it, but my dad's heart was breaking for me. Just breaking for me. He couldn't take it. He hated it. So the instructor boats all came in. Somehow I was able to figure out how to get the boat back to shore, and I was able to. And the instructor was taking all kinds of joy in his instructing. He was like, oh, look, Sam has done it now. I've done it. I'm the best instructor. I was like, get out of here, dude. But um, anyway, he, we, we sailed back in, and uh, my dad came up to me after we hooked up the boats, put everything away, and the chief instructor went to go talk to his junior instructor. Um, my dad came up to me and looked at me, Sam, and said, Sam, I'm so proud of you. You're my ace. You took that, like, you took that really well. You didn't deserve any of that. That guy just beat you up, and let me tell you, none of that stuff is true. I am so, so proud of you. And, and then my dad just laid it on thick, right? I was, I was his hero. I was his hero from the time I got into the car to the time we got out of the car at, my, at home. And then he went and gathered my entire family, my mom, my sisters, and 
at the time, I only had four other siblings. And so they all came, right? And then my dad sat me right in the center, and he told us all about this story of his son, Sam, and how proud he was. And maybe he was manipulating me. I don't know, because after that, he looked at me, and he said, Sam, do you want to go back? <laughs> right? So, it may be, but I don't think so. But he looked at me and said, Sam, do you want to go back? And I was like, of course, Dad. I'm your hero. I'm your ace. Guys, you have a God in heaven who looks at you like that. You're his ace. You're his hero. He's so proud of you. And you're never going to change that. There's nothing you can do to make him stop. And he's the God who comes, and he's the God of hope. He fills you with joy and peace, just like my dad filled me with joy and peace after being berated. He comes and encourages you in a way that you can't even imagine. That's your hope, my friends. You have an exhortation to accept and to love one another, to die to yourself and live for your friend or for your, for your brother and sister here. Accept those that annoy you. Accept those that are difficult for you. You have a Savior who's already done it for you, so you love and accept as you were accepted. And you have a God who thinks you're money. He's crazy about you. And he comes and he says, hey, don't worry, I'm going to get you to the finish line. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for what you've done for us. And we pray that you would let this truth sink into our hearts, that we would know your love and that we would be able to share it with our brothers and sisters around us now. This church would become a community of acceptance in the way that you accept us. In your name I pray, amen.